Welcome to Feeding the Flock and our expositions through the book of Revelation. We are currently in chapter 2 at verse 8. Hello, I'm Glendale Tony. I'm glad you joined me today for this Bible study. Let's begin reading right away in verse 8 of chapter 2 of the book of Revelation, where it says this. And to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, The first and the last, who was dead and has come to life, says this, I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. And the blasphemy by those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to cast some of you into prison, so that you will be tested, and you will have tribulation for ten days. Be faithful until death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes will not be hurt by the second death. So we find ourselves here with the uh, second letter that Jesus is himself dictating to John, the apostle who is currently in exile on the island of Patmos. And he uh, dictates these seven letters to John to write and distribute to these seven churches. And this uh, is the second one uh, to Smyrna. Now, we have uh, discovered before that, that each one of these letters have certain characteristics uh, or a certain pattern by which uh, the, the, um, the content is arranged. And it's always the same pattern, pretty much, except for a few exceptions. And this is one of the exceptions uh, because it starts with a commission, and the commission is to write. And... Uh, and it is addressed to the angel of the church. Now, this could uh, actually be a, a supernatural being, an actual angel that we normally think of uh, when we read uh, that term. Or it could mean exactly what the term itself means. And uh, it, that term doesn't always refer to uh, the angels that we think about. It, it may refer to messengers. And in this case and in this context of uh, Revelation chapter 1, 2, and 3, it may actually refer to the couriers of these individual letters to these individual churches. Now, the couriers may have uh, in their grasp or in their uh, delivery system a way to uh, copy all of the, the book of Revelation and distribute uh, seven copies to seven different churches. But I believe that in this case, each, uh, each courier is responsible for reading the specific letter that has been dictated and written by John uh, to that particular church, and uh, he does so in a very um, 
directed way because these letters are prescribed for individual churches. Although uh, the way that it's worded in each one of these churches, it applies to all of them at the same time. And also it applies to individual believers in every congregation. And uh, so it begins with this commission to write. Then there's the character of the author, and that is the, the, the one who is dictating these words. And that is, we know, uh, the person of Jesus Christ, the resurrected one, the ascended one, the glorified one at the right hand of the Father. And uh, there are certain descriptions he gives specific to each congregation because he knows that they need to know that particular aspect of, of him and his character in order to meet the specific need of that particular congregation. So he, he specializes each uh, letter uh, to each church by the way he describes himself. Then there is the commendation. That's where he he um, uh, highlights the positive parts of, of uh, the congregation and their strengths, you might say. Then there's the confrontation by which uh, he rebukes them and he, he, sh- he reveals certain uh, things that they're doing wrong and he rebukes them and, and gives them some sort of encouragement or some sort of correction in, in order to get them back on track, and it usually involves repentance. Uh, now, uh, to be technical, in this letter to Smyrna, there is no confrontation and there is no correction to be made because there is nothing negative that Jesus has to say to this particular gathering of Christians. Why? Because they're facing uh, tribulation, they're facing struggles, they're facing persecution, they are facing discouragement and uh, and abuse by those around them. And uh, so he has no harsh words for them or uh, any rebuke for them, but only encouragement. Then there is the call, and that's that uh, ending uh, appeal or invitation uh, specifically to each reader or each uh, person who hears. He says, uh, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. That's the call. And then there's the final challenge. Uh, that is, he who overcomes uh, will not be hurt by the second death. And so, Every letter follows this same pattern, uh, except the pattern does have some exceptions, especially when it comes to Smyrna, as well as when it comes to the the Church of Philadelphia. So the the name Smyrna gets its name from... um, from the the term that we might be familiar with, uh, and that is the the term myrrh. Uh, that's included in the syllables or in the pronunciation. There is a current uh, city uh, in western Turkey by the name of Izmir, and uh, that seems to be the same city that we're talking about here, the city or the church in Smyrna. And uh, it literally means uh, uh, bitterness or, or bitter. It also is used as a uh, uh, the that is the uh the substance of uh, myrrh is used not only uh, for embalming a, a body or sustaining uh, a, a recently dead body from uh, decaying too quickly, and it's used in that purpose, but also it's used, uh, by the way, internally. And uh, that means it, it has a certain kind of... of uh, not intoxication, but a certain kind of, of numbing of pain. And uh, so it's used in that regard as well. So 
these seven letters to these seven different churches with seven different kinds of of personalities or, or characteristics in the congregation itself, even though the individual believers may be at all sorts of various uh, levels of their own growth and their own maturity uh, uh, and their own understanding of scriptures. And yet as a congregation, Jesus seems to characterize each one. And um, what's interesting is that he writes to these seven churches uh, rather than uh, uh, more uh, common ones or more popular or more uh, uh, known churches, maybe even more dominant churches like Jerusalem or Antioch or or, uh, Corinth or even Rome. None of those are included. The only prominent one that uh, we find in other places is the church of Ephesus. And uh, that was the very first letter uh, that we uh, did in the last episode. That was chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. But here is the second church in this entire um, uh, list of things. It seems as though Jesus is wanting to make a point not only in the content of each letter, but in the in the perspective that uh, he has chosen these seven churches to represent something uh, because they're not necessarily all the same equal prominence or dominance or uh, popularity. Uh, Some of them may be rather obscure uh, even at the time, and yet uh, he picked them out, and I think he, uh, he laid out these letters in this order, not only because this is the order of the postal arrangements of that day, and the postal tour or or uh, the the um, the way uh uh, parcels would be delivered uh, in that day in this particular order, but there seems to be a, a certain sovereign uh, work that uh, Jesus chose to make this order work in this particular context. And uh, I think we'll find that out a little bit later on about how these seven letters uh, actually refer to seven phases or seven, seven different dominant characteristics of perhaps the church at large. But we'll We'll get to that uh, later on. He says here, uh, he describes himself as the first and the last. That means Jesus circumscribes uh, all of existence. He was there in the beginning. He will be there in the end. And he is the first and the last as far as history is concerned. Now, also, we find out he's the alpha and the omega, which uh, is an alphabetical uh, metaphor. But that means that he is uh, still the first and the last, because uh, the omega was the last uh, letter in the Greek alphabet, and alpha was the first letter in the Greek alphabet, and he calls himself that in other places. But in this case, it's the first and the last. He encompasses it all. He is the beginning and the end. So he's also the one who was dead and has come to life. So he describes himself as the one who was, uh, who has died. He died physically. He he was even severed from uh, re- his relationship, his eternal relationship with the Father. While he died physically on the cross, he took the judgment for our sin, and in doing so, he died to the Father as well, spiritually speaking. But he was raised in the spirit by 
the Father by the work of the Holy Spirit in his resurrected body. So because of that experience, because he has been to the earth, he has died a physical death, he has died on our behalf a spiritual death, and has raised from the dead into new life himself, into a life of of a new eternity, you might say, now housed in a physical resurrected uh, human body, he now prescribes for the suffering church hope, and that hope is that uh, they, no matter what they suffer physically, they have a spiritual future, an eternal life, that Jesus, the one who has raised from the dead, has given to them the promise of eternal life, has given the gift of eternal life to them, and they possess it already because they're related to him. And... Uh, so he he wants to know he wants them to know that is that uh, that uh, I know your tribulation and your poverty. So Jesus is aware of the condition of this uh, little church, or it might be a larger church. I don't know for sure, but. Uh, it, it, he has he has a certain grasp of of where they are physically and financially, and he knows that they are poverty stricken, and that is a very um, very strong word. It means more than just poor. It means completely uh, destitute of any financial way and any financial means. And uh, but he he also includes the fact. But you are rich because of the fact that Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega. Jesus is the first and the last. Uh, he is the one who was dead and is now alive. He wants to uh, wants you to know that by trusting in Him, you have eternal eternal life. You have his wealth. You have the same inheritance as he does in heaven, that is. And uh, that is your inheritance. You share in his inheritance and that makes you rich because you have him in your life. That is your wealth, not your financial capabilities. And he says, and the blasphemy of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of a Satan. And uh, we're going to get to that right after this break. still in Revelation chapter 2 and verse 9. And um, just to backtrack uh, slightly, um, we want to remind you that 1 Peter chapter 3 verse 18 says this, for Christ who also died for our sins once for all, the just for the unjust, so that he might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. So Peter, in his writing about Jesus's earthly work and his heavenly existence now, 
also gives us the hope that not only was Jesus put to death in the flesh, but he's made alive in the spirit, and that is the resurrection. So we have a resurrected Lord, a resurrected Savior, and uh, he is the one that is giving this church comfort here because of his work, because of his experience, because of who he is now. Now, uh, when he talks about uh, this blasphemy, he says, uh, I know not only the tribulation, and he's not talking about uh, the, the specific, uh, uh, what you, you might call the, the biblical formal tribulation. We're, we're going to get to that in uh, chapters uh, 6 through uh, 18 or so. We're going to talk about that. But uh, but this is the actual difficulties that believers face now in this age and uh, without uh, any influence from the Antichrist or, or uh, the uh, revived Roman Empire or anything like that. This is, this is the normal kind of suffering that many believers face in all generations, in all, uh, all different places around the globe uh, for the last 2,000 years. But, but Smyrna is now uh, called out to, uh, uh, by the Lord himself to say, I know this about you and what you are facing. And it includes uh, here in verse 9, the blasphemy by those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Now, this doesn't mean that uh, that there are those who uh, um, in the Jewish community who worship Satan. That's not necessarily what's the case here. But Jesus is going directly to the source of this abuse. The source of this persecution comes perhaps from a physical uh, a synagogue in the city of Smyrna, and it comes through perhaps uh, Jewish people that my, may be members of that synagogue, but uh, he knows that the source of that, the source of that is a satanic source. It is a, it is a source from the devil. Uh, Jesus himself warned the apostles in Matthew chapter 10, uh, verses 16 to 18. He says, behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be shrewd as serpents and innocents as, as doves, but beware of men for they will hand you over to the courts and scourge you in their synagogues, and you will even be brought before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. So Jesus predicted that suffering, and per, by persecution that is, uh, will come from uh, at least two different sources uh, that you will be witnessing to, and that is the source of the Jewish people as well as the source of the Gentile people, and not just the people on the streets, but, but the people who have authority in those different realms and in those different cultures. And one of those uh, cultures is uh, the culture of the synagogue, the local synagogue. And not all synagogues were friendly to those who wanted to follow Yeshua HaMashiach. And that's what's uh, going on here. And so Jesus calls it out as their source. And uh, uh, notice that uh, he did the same thing, by the way, to Peter. Uh, he he told Peter, "Get behind me, Satan!" Why? Because he he, he felt like uh, Peter was worshiping uh, Satan as a pagan. No, because he knew the source of Peter's uh, desire uh, to see Jesus not be crucified, and he knew the real origin of that kind of motivation of standing in the way of Jesus uh, taking the penalty for sin as our substitute 
attitude. That is a satanic source. And so that is exactly what goes on here. He says to them, by the way, even though you have this fierce enemy and its source happens to be from Satan. Satan, by the way, means... uh, uh, means, Accuser, and that's uh, that's what his name means. Also, he's called the devil, which is a, a synonym, and uh, uh, that actually means something similar. It uh, uh, it means uh, not just accuser, but a blasphemer and a slanderer, and uh, one who doesn't tell the truth for his own purposes. And so it says. Uh, do not fear what you are about to suffer. And so Jesus knows what's coming for them. He doesn't prevent the suffering. I want you to notice that. This is not a promise. Uh, Jesus knew this from the very beginning. And uh, G- uh, Satan is, uh, is an accuser. And uh, in fact, in, in uh, the a tributary, uh, you might want to chase down his in Zechariah chapter three, verse one, he says, then he showed me Joshua, the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord. And uh, Joshua, the high priest is a, is a symbol for Yeshua, uh, the Messiah. And also uh, the angel of the Lord is the Messiah. Uh, and then also in chapter three, verse one of Zechariah, we have this, and Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him. That is standing at the right hand of Joshua, the high priest, he's standing there to accuse him. That is one of the roles uh, that uh, the devil is allowed to play. Why is he allowed to play that? I don't know. Uh, But uh, it is still part of what uh, he functions to do is to accuse the brethren and to accuse uh, us um, of the things that we do wrong, or maybe accuse us of things that we didn't do wrong just to uh, make us feel guilty about them. Uh, But he says, do not fear, for you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to cast some of you into prison. That means some of you are going to get arrested here in Smyrna. And uh, uh, Matthew chapter 10, verse 28, Jesus says this to his disciples, do not fear those who who kill the body, but are unable to kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. So we need to know who to respect. And uh, if, if, uh, if the people around us may have the authority to take our lives, they don't have the authority of taking our soul. And uh, that is the assurance that Jesus wants these believers to know. And, uh, He says, you're going to be thrown into prison so that you will be tested. This is exactly what uh, Jesus did uh, for uh, Peter uh, when he said to Peter in Luke chapter 22, verses 31 and 32, he says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And you, when once you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Also, Paul talked about this influence of Satan over his life. It was allowed there. And that is a part of the ingredient of our own maturity is what God allows even the devil to do uh, so that we can grow closer uh, in dependence upon him and grow in understanding his power and his strength, grow in order to understand the perspective we should have about this physical life on earth, whether it's financial or whatever, that we have a different perspective. And uh, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 12 Verse uh, uh, 
excuse me, verse 7, it says, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, Paul says this, for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Now, this was allowed evidently by uh, by the sovereign God to accomplish his purposes. And um, and that's uh, even though Paul prayed about it three different times, uh, God responded to him. He says, "My uh, my," in verse nine of that chapter in Second uh, Corinthians, "My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness." Most gladly, therefore, Paul says, "I I rather uh, will uh, will rather boast about my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may dwell in me." There is a new dimension of living. It's beyond what anyone can touch, even even through torture or torment or physical disabilities or or even death itself or the threat of death, uh, there is that that uh, one truth that we have life in him, in Christ Jesus, and no one can take that away. And so it says, it even gives a time limit, uh, you will have tribulation for 10 days. That means they have a 10-day lockup. I, I really don't know, but it, it has a time limit. It has an expiration date. That in itself should be an encouragement. This is only temporary. And uh, it says, be faithful until death, and I will give you the crown of life. So don't take uh, these 10 days in some sort of symbolic ways. I, be- I believe it's, it's exactly what he, he said it was. And uh, uh, some people love to go to uh, places uh, like uh, 2 Peter 3, 8, uh, where it says one day is like a thousand years and a thousand years like one day. And they try to reinterpret other passages of of. Uh, prophecy uh, just using that uh, that verse as some sort of a key code that unlocks all unlocks all the other uh uh, day references or numbered references in the in the prophetic scriptures, and that just doesn't work. Otherwise, you see, uh, when it uh, talks about Jonah being in the belly of the great fish uh, uh, for three days, that does that mean he was there for three thousand years? I I don't think so. And so it really doesn't work as a key code that goes around uh, interpreting every prophetic scripture at all. And so I think that these ten days are the ten days that Jesus is promised. Promising, uh, it's going to have an end to it. And he says, so be faithful until death, and I will give you the crown of life. This is one of the things that they they will receive from the Lord Jesus himself. Uh, James talks about the crown of life in chapter 1 and verse 12. And he and so the um, the things of this life are are for our discipline. And when we are trained by these things, according to Hebrews twelve verse eleven, when we are trained by uh, these the, this discipline, afterwards it yields a peaceful fruit of righteousness. God is not our enemy. He's not uh, out to just destroy us or make us suffer. He is out to produce in us the things of Christ, the characters of Christ the trust in him that completes his work in us regardless of our physical comfort or our physical well-being our spiritual life is his main ingredient his main goal his main uh, work in us and uh, 
So we will be given a crown of life, according to uh, James chapter 1, verse 12, as well as here in uh, Rome, uh, Revelation chapter 2, verse 10. There are other crowns in the New Testament, by the way, which uh, we'll not get into right now. But it goes on to say, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This is the invitation to all who read or who hear these things being read. You are to know that this is for you. You are to listen to what God is saying to you, to encourage your heart, to comfort your your heart, to make sure that your perspective is placed upon the Lord Jesus Christ and uh, eternal life that he is giving to you and not upon the temporary uh, inconvenience and the temporary uh, struggles that you may face. He says, uh, continue in the, in the last, it says, it says, let him hear what it, the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes will not be hurt by the second death. How do you overcome? This is not uh, some sort of... Uh like if we work really hard and overcome with re- with our power and our our self will, uh, that we have a reward at the end. No, it means that uh, that we who are believers in Christ are the overcomers, and we will inherit the things that Jesus has purchased for us. First John chapter five verses four and five says, "Who is the one who overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God." That is our overcoming power is the one who believes in Jesus as the Son of God. When we believe in him, we have eternal life in him. When we have eternal life in him, then we are above all the other things that may happen to our body. They may destroy our body, but our souls are with the Lord. Thank you, Father, for these words. Thank you for writing this letter to that particular church because it means a lot to us. It means a lot to those of us who may be facing difficult days ahead, dark days of persecution and difficulties. We pray that our eyes can be kept on Jesus, and it's in his name we pray. Amen. I hope you enjoyed our presentation today. This is Glendale Tony. Join us again for the next episode of Feeding the Flock.